Today I'm joined by representatives from the state of Washington to announce that we have now confirmed the first case of novel coronavirus in the United States. It's similar to what you might think of as an infectious disease equivalent of a major earthquake that's going to shake us for weeks and weeks. This is transmission, life at the heart of an epidemic. I wash my hands like 45 times a day. In between the webs of the fingers, in between the webs of the thumb too. It's like we're in ground zero, it feels like. I'm Gabriel Spitzer, and here's what the Seattle area feels like right now to the hearty souls who are out and about downtown. If you look down the street right now, you'll see barely any people. Usually there are crowds. It's empty. <laughs> the buses, everybody's run away from everybody. At this time, there's not a single customer in here. When times are good, you know, we're, we're going through a massive amount of Amazon customers and Google and everybody in the neighborhood comes over here for lunch. But once the uh, virus really took hold, all of a sudden the lights go off. It's, it's truly shocking. And, and I'm, I'm still trying to comprehend all that's happened in the last couple of weeks. Living here right now, it's weird. Should we be this paranoid? I don't know, you know? I don't know. It's kind of scary. Everybody's worried about it, you know, including me, including me. And we're right in the middle of it. Unfortunately, this is probably a harbinger of what life is going to be like all over the place soon. Things are moving fast. This week, Washington's governor banned gatherings of more than 250 people in three counties. And authorities have announced that they'll be closing down the schools in those places for six weeks. We're going to hear more about that in a few minutes. But first, we get a little perspective from Carl Bergstrom. I, mean, I think we all have to acknowledge that this is going to be a event that we all remember for decades and that people talk about for decades. It's the most uh, dramatic epidemic that we've seen in a century. Um, it's going to have a larger impact than anything we've seen in a century, and uh, we're living through it right now. Bergstrom's a professor at the University of Washington. He's an evolutionary biologist who studies emerging infectious diseases, and he says we don't know yet what track this outbreak will take. It could be something that turns out to be a major inconvenience, but not a catastrophe. Or it could end up being really an awful catastrophe if we start to deal with the sort of chaos that we're seeing in northern Italy right now, where uh, health services are completely overwhelmed. CNN was able to speak to the coordinator for intensive care in the Lombardy region, who said that the public health system in that area, which is really one of the best uh, public health systems in the entire country, is stepping towards collapse. That they are so what's the difference between pretty bad and Italy bad? Well, it may come down to this idea that we've started hearing about more and more. You can get a sense of it when you hear how the public officials like Washington Governor Jay Inslee have started talking about the pandemic. This may seem a fairly benign thing, but it is a key to the success in slowing this epidemic. In reducing the rate of the spread of this epidemic. We're going to slow the spread of this epidemic. We're not talking much about stopping this thing in its tracks. We're talking about slowing it down. They call it flattening the curve. Flatten that curve. This is something that Carl Bergstrom has been saying for a while already. And to get across what he means, he and Esther Kim created this graphic with two bell curves. This is a visual thing, but I'm going to add some sound to help. You can imagine two hills. Uh, imagine one very, very sharp hill that climbs up very steeply and then falls off 
fairly steeply and imagine a much shallower, more gradual hill that extends for a longer distance but doesn't rise up nearly as high. So the first one, that narrow, really high one, that's the scenario where the infection spreads fast and burns out fast. The other one is the flattened curve. Longer, but lower. Now, it might be the same number of sick people overall in each case, but it turns out that the height of each hill, meaning how many people are infected at a moment in time, is really key. There's sort of a high watermark, if you will, of what our healthcare system can manage. You know, if you get any higher than that, then you're in a situation where you're making these very, very painful decisions to turn people away from hospitals where maybe, you know, people who are, need to be treated are being treated in, in tents and parking lots instead of in beds in the ICU. In the case of that steep high curve, most of the hill is up above that high watermark. So like in northern Italy, as people are getting sick, hospitals are already overwhelmed. The flattened curve, on the other hand, stays almost entirely under that threshold of what the healthcare system can handle. So if you need a ventilator or a hospital bed, you're much more likely to find one available. So how fast the outbreak spreads can lead to very different outcomes. Can you imagine what's the world like in the case of that big spiky hill versus the lower hill where, you know, the healthcare system is able to keep up a little bit more with the pace of infections? I mean, I think it's kind of hard to even imagine what it would be like in that worst case scenario. So let's start with the better case scenario. Um, in the better case scenario, we are doing a lot of the things that we're doing right now in terms of social distancing, probably a little bit more, probably canceling, uh, you know, more or less all large public events. Maybe the movie theaters close, maybe the malls close. When people do get sick, uh, we can triage them fairly effectively, get them the care they need. In that other situation where you get the very spiky hill and you rapidly uh, overcome the capacity of the healthcare system to keep up, I don't know exactly what this would be like. I don't know what it would feel like. I think if you asked people in, in New York on, on 9-10, you know, what would it be like if someone flew planes into the World Trade Center? No one would be able to give you a very good picture of what life was like on 9-12. And I think this may be kind of the same sort of thing. It sounds like there's a pretty remarkable natural experiment that goes back about 100 years, and I'm wondering if you can tell us about it. Yeah, there was a you know remarkable um, example of this that took place during the 1917-1918 Spanish flu. And so we can see this example in the differences in the way that Philadelphia and St. Louis chose to respond. We got a little help here. Uh, Judy Tweet, a climate scientist at UW, sonified this data for us. She made sound out of the actual numbers of excess flu deaths over time in each city. And so St. Louis responded quickly and aggressively by shutting down uh, public events and doing all the right social distancing and so forth. And they saw a uh, relatively longer duration of the pandemic, but much, much lower numbers of cases. Philadelphia waited two weeks after it was circulating in the community, and they didn't do anything. They went ahead and held a great big parade uh, before they started to implement these control measures. And what you saw there was this uh, high, sharp hill where you get a rapid and really dramatic uh, rise in the number of excess deaths. So which are we going to be, St. Louis or Philadelphia? I mean, that's the key question, right, is we, we hopefully still have time to make that choice. We're kind of moving from thinking in terms of our self-interest in our own health to being forced to think about the health 
of the population. So we're having to move from thinking like a regular person to thinking like a public health person. This, this is such an important observation because it's not an easy shift to make is normally when we're thinking about disease or or really most risks, we're thinking about how can I protect myself? How can I protect my family perhaps? And that's where you're thinking more or less stops. As we start to think about how we mitigate the effect of this on our public health system, we've got to start thinking about how do we keep the number of simultaneously infected patients down? And that means thinking about populations. You know, my actions today are going to have an impact on what the hospital's capacity is uh, in two weeks. Uh, I'm thinking not only about the risk that I'm getting the coronavirus, but I'm also thinking about how do my actions impact the community more broadly. Public health officials say we are at a crucial moment, not just for flattening the curve for this outbreak, but for potentially a long time after. We don't know enough yet about how this disease will evolve or how soon an effective vaccine might come. But one possible outcome is that the coronavirus just becomes a circulating illness that comes around every year, like flu season, only it's COVID season. It could become a whole new permanent part of human disease ecology. You know, when we're talking to our grandkids or something, and they'll say, wait a minute, you used to not have coronavirus? Like, what? really? Just kind of the way people say now, oh, what do you mean? You didn't you used to not have a vaccine for chickenpox? Dad, why do you have that scar on your arm? You know, we will be able to remember a time when there was no such thing as COVID season. To be clear, that is not inevitable, but it speaks to the extraordinary nature of what we're dealing with. And that has prompted some extraordinary measures. Schools cancel for 14 days or more, but it's probably going to be more like a month at least. Is that what they told you? They said it would probably be more than, it would be most likely more than two weeks. My son Ezra called me pretty much right away. He's a sixth grader in Seattle Public Schools. It was on the announcements um, at sixth period. How did, how did kids react? Everybody just started yelling and was like super happy. <laughs> was everybody happy? Was anybody like, ugh, this is going to be boring? Yeah, I said it was going to be boring. I said like, yeah, I'm going to play video games or something for a few days and then you'd be like, why do I exist? <laughs> the thing about school is it's not fun, but it still gives you something to do. How, how are you and Oliver going to keep from killing each other, you think? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I don't either. So it's been really pretty sweeping measures this week as far as public gatherings and schools. And in order to catch up on it, I'm here with KNKX Youth and Education reporter Ashley Gross. Ashley, what, how has this transpired over the course of the week? Oh, my God. Like, I can't even remember back to the beginning of the week. The governor ordered the prohibition on gatherings of more than 250 people in, in these three counties. And then swiftly thereafter, the Seattle School District, which is the biggest in the state, more than 53,000 students, said they were closing for at least two weeks. And that was with uh, a couple of hours notice. And so then other school districts followed. And then the governor just had a press conference with the state superintendent to say that they were shutting all the schools in the three counties, Pierce, Snohomish, and King, and that is roughly 600,000 students, and it's more than half of the state student population. 
So a huge ramp up in the number of people affected and also the duration of the, of the closure, right? Oh, yeah. I forgot to say that. Six weeks. Six weeks of no school. What does that mean? How do we begin to sort of imagine what the difference that makes to our region is? I don't even know where to start. I mean, you have parents all of a sudden needing to find some kind of childcare for their kids if they work outside of the home and can't work from home. Um, you have kids not doing homework. I mean, in Seattle public schools, the kids were supposed to come home with packets of, of work to do, but it happened so fast that, you know, not all of them did. Um, and then you have, these are major employers. So teachers are going to still get paid. The state superintendent says they're going to keep the state funding coming, but it's really up in the air for people like school bus drivers and other hourly employees. They still don't know if they're going to get paid. It's, it's just huge. So what are parents doing? I mean, do we have a sense yet of how people are coping with this? It's still uh, kind of evolving and shaking out. I mean, there are Facebook groups popping up um, where people are offering to watch each other's kids, offering advice for temporary homeschooling and online lessons that kids can do. I saw one mother who's offering to do a weekly mindfulness class for kids who are at home online. And it seems like something that every family is going to face is just like, what do you what do you do with your kids' brains for uh, a month and a half, you know, in order to not just have them in park that whole time and crawling up the walls and driving each other crazy. So I'm curious, your mom, how's this working in your family? Our family. Okay, fine. <laughs> um, I should mention that Ashley and I are, are married and uh, have two school-age kids together, and we're recording this segment on our couch right now. Um, so I was listening yesterday when you kind of broke the news to our kids that this wasn't going to be just uninterrupted, you know, video game time and junk food or whatever vacation, uh, that there was going to have to be some learning. How, how did that go over? Um, I'd say mixed. Um, you know, uh, our older son uh, didn't take that news very well and was like screaming back at me that, you know, he was seeing it as you know, we had some snow days last year and you and I just kind of did what we could to get through. And that included a lot of Fortnite time and a lot of movies. And, you know, and so I think he was thinking that's what would happen. Um, and I was trying to say, listen, this is longer than that. Uh, there's some expectations around what you need to do. It's going to be really hard. And furthermore, like there's hardly you, there's not going to be very many places to go, right, to take them to get their their wiggles out. I mean, we could take them to the park, but they can't go to the trampoline place and they can't go to museums are all closed. Right. So, yeah, we're going to have to figure out how to not let their brains atrophy and not let them drive us insane. Yeah. Um, how, how are you feeling overall? I, I, I'm, I'm feeling pretty shaken. Um, every day I'm starting to realize how unprecedented this is and, um, and trying to understand what it means for our lives going forward. And it's also hard to cover the story and, and also to step away from it and take breaks. So that's been a challenge. Anything particular been helpful for you? Yes, I have enjoyed watching 30 Rock. 
that has been that has been good. And also, yes, the Girl Scout cookies. I had to make another emergency order uh, earlier this week. So uh, Samoas and Thin Mints are getting me through. So, hey, I know it feels like we've been talking about nothing but coronavirus lately. It's exhausting. But the truth is, public health experts say we're at the beginning of this thing, and it's going to be with us for a long time. So in this podcast, we are going to do our best to make some sense of it, to process it together, and to get across what it's like to live in this time and place. So check your feed often. Transmission is produced by the staff of KNKX, including Posey Gruner, Kevin Kniestead, and Jennifer Wing. Our executive producer is Florangela Davila. Special thanks to Matt Martinez, Parker Miles Blom, Adrian Flores, Kari Plogue, and to both Ben Kamen of Olympia Noise Company and Judy Tweed of the University of Washington for helping us turn math into sound. We really want to hear from you. How are you coping with the outbreak? Are you in quarantine or concerned about family members? Are you getting creative to keep your kids busy while they're home from school? You can let us know on Twitter or Facebook, or better yet, make a voice memo recording of yourself on your phone and mail it to outreach at knkx.org. I'm Gabriel Spitzer. Catch you next time on Transmission.